As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be back with you this week. We took a little bit of a break on our solo episode last week on Friday. And since our last solo episode, guess what? I turned 40 years old on Friday, June the 24th. So uh, a couple of days ago, actually. And today is, well, the day that I'm recording this show It's Monday, June 27th today. Today is my wedding anniversary with my incredible husband, Sean. We are celebrating 13 years of marriage. We've been together for 15 years. So last week we traveled back to North Carolina where we met and we were actually in North Carolina running a retreat for my Rise to Legendary Mastermind program. And we hosted our retreat in in one of our clients' homes. She has a home or her family has a home on Lake Norman, which is just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, that they've had in their family since 1973. And we had such an incredible experience talking about all things business. Uh, Sean actually set up a really cool surprise for our clients. It was my idea, but Sean is really the one who is such a phenomenal relationship builder. He's not afraid to ask for things, not afraid to speak up and connect with people. He's a little bit better about that than I am. Actually, a lot of it better, let's be honest. And I knew that we were going to be really close to the headquarters for Burn Bootcamp. And I'm a member of Burn Bootcamp. I work out there Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturdays. It's about 30 seconds up the road from me. And there are burn boot camps, their gyms, they're all over the country. They are in over 30 states. There are over 350 locations that are operating. And then there are close to around 500 franchises that have actually been purchased, but not all of them have fully been opened yet. And so I thought, how cool would it be if we could take a field trip, if we could take our clients and some of our team that were with us to the world headquarters for Burn Bootcamp to kick off our retreat. And so Sean was really working that relationship with the owner, Devin Klein, who we actually met back when he had a parking lot Burn Bootcamp. This was 10 years ago in 2012. So we've really watched him rise and lead this company to become one of the fastest going. It actually is the fastest growing fitness franchise in the United States right now. One of the fastest growing franchises in the US right now. And we got to go meet him. So not only did I get to take my clients and Sean for the first time to a burn bootcamp workout, that's how we kicked things off last week on Monday of our retreat. We then stayed at the headquarters and got to chat with Devin for about 90 minutes. And he spent 90 minutes just pouring into us about entrepreneurship and being a business owner and establishing your business from the perspective of exiting it one day. and leading your business and leading your life 
and really looking at the purpose of your business being to help you actualize what your primary aim is. And this is what he called it. And so he has his primary aim and he knows exactly how much money that's going to cost. And his business is what's providing him with that. And this is a, a huge life goal that he has. And all of us were so impacted by this conversation. In fact, it it redirected the entire focus of that retreat. In fact, I didn't cover anything that I came to that retreat prepared to cover. I had about 20 pages mapped out of of what we were going to cover. Could have easily printed it out, turned it into a workbook and nixed the whole thing after Devin kicked us off. So we are coming off of leading a retreat with our Rise to Legendary Mastermind clients. And then we went, uh, we headed east about two hours on Thursday, I believe it was the 23rd. Once our retreat was complete and we drove to my parents' home, which they still live in the house I grew up in. They built that house when I was five. So we were there for the day, had a big birthday celebration all day. My mom planned a tea party. My brother was there. My dad was there. Brighton was there. Me, Sean, my brother's girlfriend and her daughter. And then uh, just kind of hung out all throughout the day, had an amazing meal at night. We had ribs and steak. And then that night, my brother said, hey, do you want to go to a rodeo? And I was like, well, I've never been to a rodeo, but I can hang. Um, Definitely the only one dressed in what looks like I was in full head-to-toe Lily Pulitzer. Uh, Everybody else was in cowboy cowboy boots and jeans, which I can rock it too. I used to show goats in my early 20s. That is a story for another time. Um, So it was just a fabulous way to celebrate my, my 40th. And spend that time with my family and really honor my parents for bringing me into the world, raising me, teaching me, uh, and just being incredible parents. So I thought that was really special. And then Sean and I drove home on Saturday. We left Brighton up there. She always spends about four weeks with my parents in the summertime. And now we have a week to ourselves. And we spent our entire weekend really tapping back into our inner entrepreneur. And that's what today's episode is all about. And I'm going to share, today's episode is going to be one big story. And I th- I know that you're really going to love the story that I share today. This is a part of my journey that not a whole, whole lot of people know about because until honestly, in the last couple of days, I didn't realize that some of my past experience 15 years ago was really the first time that I tapped into my inner entrepreneur and didn't know it back then. Now I do. So for the last two days, which again, it's kind of weird sharing it this way because I'm the last two days on on the date of this recording was Saturday and Sunday. You're listening to it later, right? So weird. So weird to talk like that and think that way to know that you're listening to this like possibly years later. But it's what I love about podcasts. They live on forever. Such an amazing platform and piece of content. So anyway, Sean and I were in the car for 10 hours. So we dove into the book, The E-Myth. And the reason why we dove into the book, The E-Myth, on our drive home, I literally read almost the entire book to Sean on Saturday out loud to me, to him and me was because when we spoke with the CEO and owner and co-founder of Burn Bootcamp, Devin Klein, he basically modeled his entire business off of the principles taught in two books, one being the E-Myth and the second being Traction. 
And I'm really familiar with the book Traction. In fact, a lot of my philosophy and methodology that I teach is incredibly parallel to Traction. And we teach elements of that entire process to our clients. But for some weird reason, I had not not actually ever read the book, The E-Myth. And I'd heard about it. A lot of people had recommended it to me, but it was one of those books I just never read. Uh, You should see my office. It's like I'm surrounded by books, so I read a whole lot. And of course, when somebody is running a $150 million company and they are going to $2.5 billion in their company, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to go study what this guy built his whole company around. So I ordered the book, The E-Myth. Sean and I read it all day Saturday. And then Sunday, we spent almost the entire day reimagining and remapping out our entire business from start to finish. And so it was that two-day process where I began to connect some dots that I had never connected before. And that is that my entrepreneurial spirit, I really located it and became aware of it for the first time 15 years ago when I was 25 years old and teaching business education in the high school that I graduated from. So if you don't know that part of my story, I went to college for business management, got a degree in it, and had absolutely no clue what I wanted to do as a career when I graduated. And I ended up immediately going right back into school and joined a graduate program at East Carolina University and got my master's in teaching. A year into that program, I got hired full-time as a teacher in the business education department at the high school I graduated from. Now, I didn't even have a teaching certification at the time. So you can get hired to be a teacher if you have a degree and work experience in the department in which you're being hired with the intention that you're going to get your certification and you have to get it within like a certain number of years. So I was already halfway through my master's program, which was giving me a master's and a teaching certification And when I got hired. And so my first year of teaching, I was, I must have been 20, I was 22 years old. No, I was 23. I think the first year I taught, I was 23. My first full year of teaching. The year before that, I was a long-term substitute in an English classroom. I was 23, my first year of teaching. And I was also getting my master's degree and I was in school full-time and it was online at the same time. So by the end of that first year of teaching, I had my master's degree and my teaching license. And I taught when I was 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27. So I taught in the classroom for five years. And when we had Brighton, I left. And then that's when I started like real businesses that were making money. So my third year of teaching, I had just turned 25 years old. And I might have actually been asked to play this particular role when I was 24 in my second year of teaching. Actually, I think that's how how the way it went. Um, When I was 25, that was also the year that I met Sean. So Sean and I started dating when I was 25. Uh, We went on our first date in October of that year. And uh, that particular year, I was asked by my principal. I remember he called me into his office. We had a meeting set up. And he asked me to take on the role of graduation project coordinator. And so 
I'm going to tell you about this role. I'm going to tell you about the whole story around how I led this initiative of being the graduation project coordinator and how it is almost identical. There's only one factor that wasn't. It literally is identical to exactly the way I want you to approach how you are building and leading your business, your company. The only difference was I wasn't doing it back then to make money. So it was not for profit. Basically, I was working for free and I was essentially building a business. So I want you to look at this whole process that in the story I'm going to share with you, like I was running a business and I was a business owner. So I was the graduation project coordinator. Just imagine that was me being the CEO of a business and it's going to make a whole lot of sense. The only difference was I was doing it all for free, but every element of it was me running a business. Now, let me connect the dots. I didn't realize this until this weekend when Sean and I read the e-myth and we then spent the very next day reimagining our entire approach to how we're building and leading our company, like completely, completely different than how we were before. Not completely, but we changed, we, you know, going in a, going about it in a, in a new way. And I always knew that my graduation project coordinator experience is probably the thing that it's one of the things that I am most proud of. And I discovered that when I was working with a mentor last year, Michael Burnoff, and we were doing an activity around um, something that we were most proud of, a time in our lives, a time in our lives when we were most confident or written like an event that happened where we were really confident. And then a time where we uh, were just having a lot of fun. Things were like really silly. And I, what immediately came to me when he asked the question, what's a time or an event in your life that you are most proud of? And I immediately wrote down my experience being graduation project coordinator. The time where I was most confident, and I wrote about a tennis experience that I had because I was also a tennis player growing up. And so I've always thought about this experience being the graduation project coordinator. Anytime I want to feel, uh, to remind myself of what I'm capable of doing, that is a story and an experience and a time in my life that I will re visualize in my mind and I will remind myself of. However, until this weekend, I never connected nor saw the parallels that I was tapping into the entrepreneur in me at that time. So why are we talking about finding the entrepreneur in you when you're somebody listening to this? And if you're listening to this, more than likely you are an entrepreneur and you have a business. So I'm going to share something that uh, Michael Gerber talks about in the E-Myth. And what he talks about near the beginning of the book is that each one of us as an entrepreneur we have three different versions of ourselves and all of the versions of ourselves are necessary, but we can't stay in all of them if we're going to grow our business and actualize our big dreams and goals as a business owner. And so those three roles are, in his words, the technician, the manager, and the entrepreneur. And so we play all three roles. The technician is, you know, figuring out how to do all the little things that we have to do in our business in order for it to grow and run. 
And the technician is who's really implementing the systems in your business. So if you have a system for repurposing your content, um, a technician does that. If you have a system for, uh, let's say you have a podcast and you've got to write the show notes for it, you have to get it uploaded to all these platforms, uh, you know, all the details that go along with your podcast. A technician is who's doing all those things. You as the entrepreneur, all you're doing is recording the episode. Right. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm playing the role of entrepreneur. All I'm doing is recording the episode. I don't do anything else. Somebody, two other people are doing other things with my podcast so that you can actually hear it right now. Somebody else is promoting it. Somebody else is editing it. Somebody else is doing all those things. So, there, but we have a system in place and technicians are implementing that system. And then you have the manager. And the manager is who is overseeing and leading the technicians in your company. So you might have a sales manager with salespeople underneath her or him. You might have a marketing manager with a social media manager under her or him. You are going to have an operations manager with people underneath him or her, a finance manager. If you're in the coaching industry, you're also going to have a program manager. And your program manager might oversee associate coaches uh, or certification directors, people like that. Uh, so that would be your managers. So technicians are the one implementing the systems. Managers are the ones making sure the systems are actually working and being implemented. And then you have you, the entrepreneur, you're the visionary, you're the ultimate leader. You're the one who's casting vision. You're doing a lot of thinking. You could actually be doing some hiring. Um, but ultimately you are the head creator, the big visionary. You're the idea generator you are the strategic thinker and the managers and technicians are doing all the work for you. Now, in the early stages of a business, sometimes even the first few years of a business, most people never make it in entrepreneurship because they stay in the technician role. So again, if you're listening to this, you're probably very much like me, where we started businesses because we wanted a better life for ourselves. We wanted freedom from whatever job we were in. We wanted the freedom to make as much money as we wanted. And we took something that we were really good at, that we knew how to do really well, and we turned it into a business. And in the book, The E-Myth, Michael Gerber tells the story of one of his clients named Sarah, that he named Sarah, and she has a company called All About Pies. So Sarah was a really great technician at making pies. So she just decided, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to sell my pies. But she stayed in the role of technician. So she was cleaning the ovens. She was going to the grocery store to get all the ingredients. She was baking all the pies. She was cleaning off all the counters. She was doing all the selling, all the marketing, all the running of the store. Like she was doing everything. And if you stay in the role of technician and even stay in the role of manager in your company, what happens is you lose your entrepreneurial spirit. And then your company hits a wall or hits a plateau and it doesn't grow beyond that because you've lost your entrepreneurial spirit. So you have to reawaken the entrepreneur in you. Or if you've never actually woken your entrepreneur up, it's time for you to identify and get to know the entrepreneur in you. So if you've made it this far and you have a business making six or seven figures, um, there's a lot of seven-figure companies where the entrepreneur is still acting like the technician and the manager, which is why their company cannot grow beyond that point. And it's why they're exhausted and they're burnt out because they're not playing the role of entrepreneur. So if you are running a six or seven figure company, possibly even eight, but by the time you get there, you're, you're probably not playing the role of technician or manager anymore. 
it's time for you to really pay attention to reawakening the entrepreneur in you so that you can really lead your company to another level with the perspective that you could remove yourself from your business. You can sell your business or you could hand your business off to someone else to run completely. And what is discussed in the book, The E-Myth, it's to look at your business as though you are building a franchise. Not that you are going to build a franchise, but your perspective of your business is as if you are structuring your company to become a franchise, which means it's all based on systems and having people in certain positions who are accountable to certain numbers, they're accountable to showing up, they have certain responsibilities. And no matter who is in those positions, because you've got it so well mapped out, anybody could come in and do those things. Anybody can come and do those things. And that's what really makes your, your business so valuable. A business is not valuable if it relies on you to get results. If your clients and customers and members rely on you to get results, your business does not have value, meaning it's not sellable and you will never be able to leave it. And nobody's going to come along and buy it or take it over from you. It's basically worthless to any type of business owner. The other thing I want you to really uh, recognize here is that if every element of your business you know, relies on you for it to move forward and all of your clients, customers, or members rely on you to get results, you don't actually have a business. You have a job that you have created for yourself. And that's what so many entrepreneurs, I did this as well, where again, we were a technician in something that we were really good at and we were able to turn that into a business And you could make six, multiple six or seven figures, but you remained in the position of technician and or manager, and you didn't actually awaken the entrepreneur inside of you. Okay. So that's kind of like high level overview of what I'm talking about here. It's how I want you to now really think about the way you are building your company. And now it's story time. So let's go back to me being graduation project coordinator. And you're going to see this really illustrated in my story. So I become graduation project coordinator. And this was not something that was decided at the school level. Uh, It came from the state of North Carolina. And there were many states, though, uh, that exist in the United States. I don't don't know about now, but back then, that where high school seniors had to complete what is called a graduation project in order to graduate from high school. So this was not something that North Carolina just came up with. Other states were doing it. And North Carolina decided we're going to do it too. And so they rolled it out, you know, the my, my second year of teaching and said, starting next year, all of your high school seniors are going to have to complete this project in order to graduate. And it takes about a year to a year and a half for a, for a student from start to finish to actually complete the project. So this is not something they can do in a week or a month or even a school year. It was a whole year and a half to two year process that started when they were juniors. So we get this mandate from the state and the state essentially gives us nothing in terms of how to equip our students with how to do the project. Not only do we have to equip our students, but they did give us, a, I, th- I think I remember their guidelines were like, it was like two pages of guidelines. And 
you know, obviously the students have to complete the project, but their guidelines were they had to have a faculty advisor who were, who advised them through the whole process, which is basically like their accountability coach in a way. They had to partner with a mentor in the community who could help them complete their graduation project. So for example, if I was going to do a project on banking, I would go to the local bank and I would find like the the manager at the bank, the finance manager at the bank to be my mentor. Or let's say I was going to do a project on carpentry. I would need to go find somebody in the community who specialized in woodworking or carpentry. Um, Let's say I'm going to do a project on baseball. I would need to go find someone who was like a previous major league baseball or minor league baseball player, somebody who played in college, something like that. So you had to decide what your project was going to be on, and then you had to go find a mentor. So essentially, you were someone's apprentice. So look at it that way. It's like the student was an apprentice, but they had to build something or make something or craft something. They had to learn how to do some sort of skill. Um, I think I remember one one student did, um, he rebuilt a car engine. So his finished product, you had to have a finished product. And his finished product was um, rebuilding a car engine that actually functioned inside of a car. So his mentor was a car mechanic. So, but a mentor couldn't be a it couldn't be a family member. So if their dad owned a car mechanic shop, the dad couldn't be the mentor. They had to find a community mentor. So that's a lot of moving parts and pieces. Now you also have to have parents, right? All these students have parents and we know that they're going to have to, the students are going to have to be supported to a degree by the parent. So for example, if the kid doesn't have a license and they have to go meet their mentor in person, who's going to get them there? Might be the parent. There's probably going to be cost involved and there were costs involved. If you're going to you know, create a finished product, you're probably going to have to pay for some things. So they're going to need help from their parent with the finances. So we have students, we have teachers, we have community mentors, we have parents. And then I recognized when I was the coordinator that, you know what, we've got some students who are on the fringe, who they're going to have a really hard time finding a mentor in the community because they don't have the support at home. Their grades are already so low that they're already on the fringe of not even graduating. Maybe they're low socioeconomic and they don't have the money to go do the things that they're probably going to have to do to complete this project. So then I decided I've got to partner with a nonprofit who already has, you know, their whole nonprofit is built around mentorship for children. And so I found a nonprofit in our county called Chatham Together. And the whole purpose of Chatham Together is to bring community mentors to train them so they're already trained and then assign them to students and they are building a relationship. And so that was already built in. I didn't have to build that. I didn't have to create that, but I did have to create the um, partnership with them. So now you have a really good idea of who all of these players are in this entire project. Now, here's where you're going to really get the entrepreneurial side of this. So I'm the coordinator. So look at me in that position as I was the CEO of the comp- I was a CEO of the graduation project. If the graduation project and that whole process was a business, I was a CEO. Now, here's where the problem came in. And you see this in your own companies when you are generating leads and you're doing your marketing and sales and um, looking at your client journey 
and filling your pipeline with people who are poised and ready to eventually buy from you. And then keeping your clients, um, making sure you're retaining your clients, your clients are getting results, your clients are making progress. They are, they have a great attitude. And we all know when it comes to marketing and sales that one of the biggest things that any company has to do is they've got to get their buyer or their ideal client to believe certain things so that they will buy. My really good friend, Laura Magitano, always says, um, buyers are believers, right? So you've got to get the buyer to believe first before they will buy from you. So in my situation as graduation project coordinator, as the CEO of that whole graduation project, I had to get the students to believe something, the parents to believe something, the entire faculty to believe something, and community mentors to believe something, and the nonprofit that supported me to believe something. And then I also had to get all the other graduation project coordinators in my county to believe something. And then I also had to get the assistant superintendent and superintendent to believe something because I needed their support. So I'm going to lay out exactly how I coordinated this whole entire initiative. And I'm sharing all this because there were so many people who were very angry. Now, imagine you walk into your senior year and on the first day of the school year, you find out, oh, by the way, there's one more big project you've got to do. And it doesn't, it literally negates every other thing you've done up until this point in high school. So even if you have met all of your other qualifications to graduate from high school, oh, guess what? You have one more thing and it's going to take you the whole entire school year to do it. And it's heavily involved. You can imagine I had a lot of pissed off seniors. We had a lot of pissed off students. Um, Now you look at the parents and the parents are literally about ready to send their kids off. They're going to be empty nesters. They're not going to have the kid in their house anymore. And a lot of parents, not me, but and maybe not you, but a lot of parents are like really ready for their kids to be out of the house. Uh, And I hear that all the time. That always shocks me. I want my kid to like live with me forever. So I've got so many pissed off parents because they don't want their kids to have to do this. And they've got all their reasons why. Then you've got pissed off teachers because now you've got to ask the entire faculty and staff to be a mentor to an entire handful of kids. They have to have one-on-one meetings with them. They have to keep up with them and they're not getting paid any extra money. And they're already stretched too thin and doing other duties and not getting paid for it. Then you've got to get an entire community of mentors on board that have no connection to these students and no connection to this school. Then I've got to get a nonprofit on board to do above and beyond extra work and and work with me and work with more students doing what, what we need them to do and we need their help doing. Then I've got to get all the other graduation project coordinators on board at all the schools so that they will follow doing this project the way I'm designing to do it. So I became not just the graduation project coordinator at my high school. I was looked at, I didn't have this title, but I was essentially looked at by the superintendent and the assistant superintendent and the county office and all the people who worked at the county office and every other high school graduation project coordinator in the high schools in my county as the entire as the leader the overall leader of what every high school was doing and how each coordinator was leading this project 
So the here's here was my mentality and the way that I looked at this whole thing. But back then, I didn't realize it was actually entrepreneurial of me. I didn't realize this until like this last weekend. It's crazy. So I looked at it as I am creating a prototype of the graduation project. Now, remember, the state of North Carolina gave us two pages to work with. I ended up creating an 82-page student manual. I created a 40-page parent manual. I don't know how long the pages were for, not for the parents, that was for the faculty, the student advisors. advisors. I created information sessions and presentations for the parents. I created information sessions and presentations for community. And I created a graduation project coordinator handbook, or if you will, an operations manual. So, okay, just so you guys know, I've been interrupted, not really interrupted, but two flowers have been delivered to my house um, for my birthday, which was last Friday while recording this. And so I've had to get up twice and press pause. So I believe where I left off, this is so funny. I'm just keeping it real. Where I left off was I basically became the uh, coordinator of the whole entire. So everybody was follow, everybody from all the other high schools were following my direction. So I was essentially spearheading the whole thing and everybody was just copying what I was doing. So the way I approached this was my school and how I'm doing it at my school and the systems we're creating and the operations manuals that we're creating is going to be copied so that any other graduation coordinator and student body can follow it at any high school. And if I am no longer the coordinator and somebody else is a coordinator when I'm no longer here, they could just pick up where I left off. So people didn't have to have my skill necessarily. I'm, I'm the one that had the skill to build it all. It didn't matter how skilled somebody was because I had built all the manuals and the operational procedures and the systems and had all of it documented. So people could just come in and follow it because it was all there. So I built it that way. Now, I will be really honest. I was working my full-time teaching job and I was one of those overachieving teachers who was the first one in the building and the last one to to leave. I spent probably an additional 30 to 40 hours a week on graduation project stuff and didn't get paid a cent for it. And I'm sharing how much I worked because in order to develop your business in the way we're talking about it, you can't only work like five hours a week or 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week. When you are in startup phase, which for most companies, you're still in startup when you're making seven figures or even multiple seven figures, you're still in startup. Some people are still in startup phase, even when they're eight figures, depending on what their goals are. It's going to be a lot of work and it's not hard work. It's very enjoyable work, but it is a lot of work. And you are, you're, you're basically the technician. So essentially when I was creating all of this, I was a technician doing everything. And then I would hand it over once I built it out. So then I didn't have to do all those roles. So now imagine if I didn't have a team of people, I wouldn't have been able to pull it off. So I had to have a team. So this is where they keep listening to this, looking at it from the lens of, this is very entrepreneurial. So here's what I did. The first thing I did was establish a board of directors. And I knew that I was not going to be able to make all of the decisions completely on my own by myself, nor should I have been. So I enlisted five or six, I think I had a board of five or six other teachers. 
So I recruited a group of five to six teachers and called them my board of directors. And as the board of directors, we were meeting um, probably once a month, maybe twice a month. We were having a graduation project meeting and we were all, I was casting the vision. I remember I'm the coordinator, but they were all helping us make decisions um, that would benefit the students the, the most. Then I had an executive team. So I also established an executive team. My executive team was made up of other teachers at the other schools and an assistant superintendent. So we were making really high level decisions. And then it was being implemented at each school where we each had our board of directors. And then I established essentially a management team or like C-suite. So I had um, part of this whole project was you had to do a graduate, a presentation night. And at presentation night, we had to have three judges for every student. And, you know, we've got like 200 students who have to present in a night where you're only there for like two hours. So students were assigned to classrooms. We had judges three per room and they were assigned a certain room. And then we had to coordinate all that. Well, I didn't do that part. I had a manager that did that. So there was someone else in a managerial role who had to find all those judges because they couldn't be mentors. They couldn't be parents. I think we had to have one teacher in each one. Um, There was this whole thing that went into that night. Well, I had a manager who coordinated the whole entire thing. Um, I had managers who also did other aspects of it, but me and this other person were basically CEO and COO. And then we had our board of directors and then we had our executive team um, at the county level. So that's the same thing that you have in your business. And then you're assigning people projects. Now, as a CEO, CEO, I was the one developing all the operational um, manuals. So I was doing the technician work at first to develop the system because I was a creator of it. Nobody else knew how to do it. So I was creating it at the technician level, and then I would pass it off to someone else. So I was creating the faculty advisor operations manual and then handed it over to them. And I trained them on it and they did it. They had never done it before, but they could follow a manual, right? It's the same thing when you're hiring people on your team. When you hire people on your team, you do not need to go hire someone who has experience necessarily in the role you're hiring them for. What you need to do is hire people who are not necessarily as skilled as you are, but you've created the manual for them. So it doesn't matter who you have in the position, that person's going to be able to come in and do the job because they can follow a procedure. They can follow a system and they can be trained, right? Like you can train people on the skills and the knowledge that they need. So that's essentially what we were doing for every player in this game. I created it for the parents, for the students, for the faculty, for the mentors. So no one, including myself, had ever run anything like this. We'd never done anything like this. We'd never played these roles. But all those 200 parents did what they needed to do. All those faculty members did what they needed to do. All those mentors did what they needed to do because they had an operational manual to follow But as a CEO, I was the one who created that so that everybody else could do it. Now, we took the process that I implemented at my high school. Every other graduation project coordinator 
followed the exact same process at their school. They used all of our operational manuals. So essentially what we did is I created a franchise at my high school and everybody else was able to basically become a franchisee of this graduation project. No other coordinator created these manuals. They just followed what I created. Now they were part of the decision makers who, you know, were helping me make decisions. And then what that did is it didn't make me have to go to each one of those schools because there weren't enough of me to go to every school and do all the trainings for those people. Right. So I created it. They implemented it. They implemented every single thing that I created. So if you look at McDonald's or you look at Chick-fil-A or you look at Burger King or you look at any franchise that exists, every, if you go to a McDonald's or if you go to Chick-fil-A, you're having the exact same experience at every single one. But when those people bought into that franchise, they were given manuals, they were given trainings, and they were told, this is how we do everything that we do here. And this is how you follow it. Uh, And they follow it. So I have the same experience. My pickles are in the same place on my Chick-fil-A sandwich. Everything is packaged the same way. The language is the same. Everybody's wearing the same thing. The uh, employees are all working in the same spots, no matter what, Chick- the, even the drive through line is the same. Like everything is the exact same, no matter what Chick-fil-A I go to across the United States. That's a franchise. So if you went into any one of these high schools, they were all functioning and leading the graduation project in the exact same way, no matter what high school you were in, because we created the prototype for it. I created the prototype for that. Now, I also needed to create a prototype because I knew I wasn't going to be the one always running the graduation project. So when I moved out of that position, and actually when I stopped teaching there, somebody else took over that position. And they may not have been skilled at the same things I was skilled at, but they can follow the operational manuals. It's already there. And I could train them on that. That is what you're doing inside of your own business. Do you see how the dots connect to that? right? Like this is how you are now approaching your business. I'm not saying that you're creating a franchise and then you're going off and selling it to franchisees. I want you to think, how do I need to set my business up? Whether you are just getting started or you are already making seven or multiple seven figures or even eight figures, how do I need to set this up from this point forward so that I'm thinking of the end I have in mind? And the end you have in mind is not to be in your business 24-7 in the way that you are currently today, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now. You don't even want to really be in your business at all 30 years from now. I'm not saying you want to retire, but there's something else that you want to do with your life or with even other business initiatives that you are only going to be able to do if you structure your business today the way it needs to be structured when you see it at the end, 30 years from now, or 20 or 10 or five or whatever it is for you. So you are essentially building a prototype for every position um, for your entire business and how the whole thing functions. You're building out all the accountabilities and the responsibilities in every position in your company so that it functions, so that you can leave those positions. So you're the technician at first, documenting everything that you're doing, You're creating the manual or the system for it. You don't even have to go find, like you could hire a salesperson, like the first person you bring on to help you with sales, they don't even have to be a trained salesperson because if they're trained, they're trained by somebody else's company, somebody else's philosophy, someone else's values, somebody else's way of doing things. What if that's not your way? 
What if that's not your way and they come into your company and they're either fighting against you or they're trying to tell you how it's going to be done, but it's not your way. For instance, Sean and I have a company, Structured Freedom. There's the Structured Freedom way to do things. It's mine and Sean's job to train our team to do things our way, the way that we want it done so that it doesn't matter who is in that position. Anybody could be in any of the positions that we need filled. And if they all have the process that we have laid out for them to follow, it doesn't matter who is in that position. Obviously, we have to train them, but we're not hiring based on people who we like or people who are close to us or family members or you know, you know, somebody who's nice, who we think could do a good job or somebody who did this for 30 years in their own company. We're not hiring for that. We're hiring for someone who wants to learn the skill, who wants, who's hungry for it and who wants to grow and is who, in, who is in alignment with our vision. But it's our job to communicate all of that so that we get the right people in the right seats. So that is, that's the big thing. That's the big thing. It was that, you know, kind of bringing this full circle, it is reawakening, you know, either reawakening or awakening for the first time, the entrepreneur in you, whether you are at six figures, multiple six figures, seven figures, multiple seven figures or beyond, are you operating too much in the technician position? Are you operating too much in the manager position? Because if you are, then you're burnt out, you're exhausted, your company's going to plateau, you're going to hit time constraints, money constraints, energy constraints, effort constraints. Because if you're doing all the things and you're not building out processes and systems and manual operational manuals, and creating an organizational chart that doesn't put people in those places, but you have accountabilities and responsibilities in those places, meaning what do I need people to do and what are the outcomes I need them to ensure they are reaching? What are the numbers they're reporting on? That's what you're creating for your organizational chart. Now you do it at first. And then you hand it off to someone else and you move from the technician role into the manager role. And then once you've got your managers in place, you can now fully be in the entrepreneurial role. But what most entrepreneurs are doing is you're staying in the technician role. Even if you've got a couple of people on your team, you're still staying in the technician role, which means your entire company relies on you to grow. Your All of your clientele rely on you to get results. And if that's happening, then you won't ever be able to actually leave your business. You will have to stay in it forever in order for it to even make money. So um, I thought that was such a really cool realization that I personally had this weekend from reading a book and recognizing that I basically built a business when I was 25 inside of a school. And not only did I build a business there, I built a franchise. And I built a franchise that every other school in my county followed. And not only that, had I stayed at that, at, you know, had I stayed being a teacher even longer, every single high school in the state of North Carolina could have followed all the manuals that I developed for parents, for students, for faculty as advisors, for mentors, for uh, partnering with a nonprofit, like there's a nonprofit like that in almost every county where they are training mentors to then be partnered with students who are considered like high at risk of 
failing out of school or going to jail or getting in trouble or um, just not being on a path that they really could be on. Like that exists in almost every county or bordering counties. But I created how that entire prototype was going to work. It could have worked in every single high school across the United States. Now, I didn't need to be at every single high school. I didn't need to be running all the trainings. I didn't need to be talking to every stakeholder. I didn't need to be present for any of it to work. And you know how long it took me to build that? It took me less than a year. Now, go back to I was building it for 30 to 40 hours a week, but it took me less than a year to do it, a lot less than a year. I didn't even have to get to the finished product the first year to build all those things out. And what drove me was that I fully believed with every freaking cell in my body that the experience those kids were having with their graduation project far outweighed their entire high school experience combined, sitting in a classroom, learning about science, social studies, math, English, and even what I was teaching, business education classes, this was giving them real world, real life experience. And even, and I felt like they were going to remember it like that. I literally believed, I still believe it. I believed that those students, that experience was going to impact the direction their entire lives would take for the rest of their lives. I also believed that that project brought an entire community together. And I believed that that project had the power to bring an entire community together because it was students, parents, teachers, community mentors. It was a superintendent, assistant superintendent, and a nonprofit organization. That was the whole community. That literally was bringing the whole community together. So every parent that would call and use cuss words to talk about how much they hated the fact that their kid had to do this, all the disgruntled students who drug their feet and complained to me about having to do the project that we had to literally shove across the finish line, every faculty member who complained about one more thing to do, you're going to have all those types of complaints in your business. Your clients are going to complain. Your team is going to complain. Your partners are going to complain. Your colleagues are going to complain. Everybody's going to complain. And there's going to be problems and fires to put out every single day. There absolutely was when I was graduation project coordinator. But what kept me going was my primary aim. And that was to graduate these students, but not just graduate them, to enrich their lives so that that project had the power to change the trajectory of their lives and their careers, that they would actually see how smart, capable, empowered, and confident they truly were, and to bring an entire community together. And that when a community sees that they come together and they support young people, they support the people who are going to be running their towns and their cities and their states and their countries 20 and 30 years from now, that it was that moment, it was that time in their lives where they could put their own stamp, they could put their own shaping, they can put their guidance on those young people to create an incredible world that we're all going to be living in in the future. And at 25 years old, I believed that to the nth degree. I could feel it in my bones. I could feel it in my cells. I could feel it in my spirit. 
And that is what drove me to build out that entire project or business. And this weekend, I realized that is when the entrepreneur in me was awakened. And I hope that this story has inspired you to take a really good look at how and where you are operating inside of your business and what role you're playing. Are you playing the role of technician all the time, causing you to never be able to step away from your business, let alone you know, exit it, sell it, hand it over to someone else? Are you being the manager where you are just managing a bunch of people all day long, but you still have to be present for them to actually get their work done or for them to even know what to do? Or are you tapping into the entrepreneur in you? Are you being driven and guided by your primary aim? Are you structuring your company and designing your company so that you can leave it one day, so that you can walk away from it, so that you can sell it, so that an entire new team of people could come in and essentially run your entire business? That is what we call leaving a legacy. So if you have lost that entrepreneurial spirit, if you have hidden your entrepreneurial spirit into a dark corner of inside of your heart and your soul, if you have forgotten your entrepreneurial spirit, let this episode activate the entrepreneur in you again. And with that, make sure you are designing your business and your life in a way that is built to last. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.